Thank you for tuning in to Trevor Talks Podcast, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. Our guest today is the author of the best-selling book, Finding God's Life for My Will, and the lead singer-songwriter for the band 10th Avenue North, Mr. Mike Donahue. How are you doing, bro? COVID-free, bro. Loving life. COVID-free. Heck yes, dude. So your final 10th Ave tour was interrupted by a very rude pandemic. How was that? Yeah, I, I liken it to you're trying to rip a Band-Aid off quickly and instead you got to take it off millimeter by millimeter. Uh, so, yeah, we, we could have timed it better, I think. Yeah, for sure. I think everybody could have. It's almost like the music industry was popping, everybody was touring, and COVID hits. And I think the NBA went out first, then Ariana Grande's tour, and then everybody else kind of dropped like flies after that do you have any plans to tour after 2020 is the year everyone went man i was really looking forward to dot 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 uh well right now it's kind of up in the air we may we may do this tour in the fall it's it's not looking good with the way the cases are going i don't know if we'll do it if we have to postpone until next year because i'm uh moving on to start doing some solo music and such so yeah, that, see what was, happens. that was actually one of my questions. It's like after 10th Ave is done, you're obviously a very talented musician. Just because a band's done doesn't particularly mean that you're done with music yourself. So is there anything you can share about that? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it was pretty strange. You know, we had a band for a long time. And then two years ago, the guy that I started the band with, he was like, man, I my oldest daughter's going into middle school and I just, I got to get off the road. So he quit. And our piano player said, man, I want to start a family and a farm in Florida with my wife. So then he quit. And then right before this spring tour, our bass player goes, Hey guys, I'm going to go full time into real estate. And so I looked at my guitarist, who's the only other member of the band really. And I said, what do you want to do? And he goes, I think I just want to produce music from my backyard. Because he's got, that sounds funny, he's got a studio in his backyard. And um, I was like, so you don't want to keep touring? He's like, no. I said, hmm, all right. And my wife and I had been talking about wanting to just take time off from the band anyway. Sure. So, uh, yeah, it's funny. I wasn't quite certain what was going to happen. And then when the pandemic hit, I just couldn't stop writing songs, mm. strange, as it, strange as it was. So uh, I said, well, I got all these songs now. I guess I should release them. Dude, that's sick. So everybody in the band just, like, they're going their different ways. You're going to keep going with music. Not to say that the other guys aren't going to be in music, but there's going to be more in store for Mike Donahue in the future. Now, my biggest question is... <laughs> Before you got into music and everything, you were really into acting. Is there anything coming in that world at all? Ah, um, yeah, I've always wanted to act. I was a theater major in college and thought that that's what I was going to do. I did have three, three lines in a movie that filmed last year, but the movie has not come out yet. And I don't know if the movie will come out. But I have a sick dog, and my line's like, man, my dog's sick. It's really, it's really moving piece of acting. 
Dude. I think it's going to change the world. Dude, it might change the world. So you did have uh, kind of some roles in the I Still Believe film. You did vocals for Jeremy Camp's character, which was played by KJ Apa. Where did that come from? Like, where did they think in their minds that Mike Donahue needs to be the voice of Jeremy Camp musically? It, it, it actually came about kind of naturally. The director, Andy Irwin, and his brother, they uh, the first project they ever did when they they used to be camera guys for espn Mm -hmm. and their first project outside of that they did two music videos one of which was our music video for love is here so we've kind of always just kind of stayed friends through that and he invites me to like different screenings and stuff for their movies sure and he called me up and goes hey listen i need a vocal coach for this kj kid he's never really recorded his vocal before and I think you would be really good at kind of helping him and then when I came over like why don't you go ahead and sing all these songs too and they just decided there's a couple parts where they I would say KJ's voice is like the cake and my voice is the icing where they kind of mixed in about you know 15% of my voice here and there so you can Friends of mine, they definitely, when they watched the movie, they went, they started texting me. They're like, I swear this is you singing, but only at certain parts. I said, yeah, that's exactly right. I knew when I was watching it, when he goes into the end of the song, where it's like, I still believe. It's like, uh, that's Mike. That's Mike. That's uh, 10th Ave right there. You know, just a little little 10th Ave sauce. It's like little nuggets of your voice scattered throughout the film. So technically, you starred in a major film. Totally starred. Mike D's, Mike Donahue's voice. I wish I could have gotten a credit, but it was somewhere it. in there. I yeah, was, additional additional vocals. I think that was my my title. My job for that movie was to tour around the country and run my mouth about it. And hearing it, I counted. I watched the movie 24 times. And your name's in the credits, I promise. Oh, great. Fantastic. It worked. What a what a bad timing for a movie. Talk yeah. about pandemic. I remember I went to the premiere, in Nash, the Nashville premiere, mm-hmm. and uh, it was right when everything was shutting down. And that... Nobody knew how to act. Everyone's like, are we allowed to hug? Are we supposed to shake hands? How do we do this? It um, it was almost like, I think it was the week to the day that the movie came out in theaters is when the Mercy Me tour got shut down. So we're all just sitting there in Pensacola, Florida, like, oh yeah, like <laughs> it's done. Um, and I'll never forget, like all the theaters start shutting down and it's like, we just worked so hard on this movie and I did very little compared to what everyone else did on the team. Um, they worked so hard on this film and for a week after the release, like movie theaters are shut down. Nobody can go. It's going straight on demand. Um, which I still think it did really well. I don't have numbers or anything, but it definitely was a hit, but it took a hit not being able to have that theater clout, like number one in America, three weeks in a row or anything like that. But I think God had some grace in there for us. It's It almost reminds me of a good portion of your book talking about God's will for our life or our life for his will. And can you explain where that came about for the book? Yeah, finding God's life for my will 
is a it's an answer mm. to the countless people who have asked me over the years, when did you know being in this band was God's will for your life? Mm. And I always say to them, I don't. And they get a French, you know, crun- like scrunched face. What do you mean you don't? I said, well, I don't know. God usually doesn't lay it all out for me like that. He usually just gives me enough, like to take the next step. You know, your word is a lamp unto my feet, not a floodlight to my interstate. That's what I like to say. <laughs> and um, I said, maybe, maybe we don't even need to ask what God's will for our life is. He's made that pretty clear. It's like joy and peace and forgiveness and grace. And every time you look for his will for your life in scripture, it's always like some kind of matter of the heart. So I said, maybe I don't need God's will for my life. Maybe I need his life to come change my will. And so that kind of set me off writing of sort of just walking through how my story, how countless times I thought I knew what the path was and God was just constantly changing the path on me. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is we're, we get so fixated on God changing our circumstances for us, not realizing that a lot of times God lets our circumstances remain so he can actually change us, Mm. you know? Yeah, it's like that annoying prayer. If you pray for patience, God's going to give you the circumstances to give you a chance to learn patience. Yeah, which you learned firsthand. You were in a car accident when you were in high school. And what sport were you really into? Was it football? Uh, no, not football. Uh, soccer and basketball. But it was during my soccer season of my mm. senior year of high school. So you thought your life was going to revolve around sports and then you're in this life altering accident. Can you tell us a little bit how that changed your life and led you on the path you're on today? Yeah. In the short term, um, I, I broke my back. My buddy flipped the car, just caught the edge of the road, flipped the car at 50 miles an hour. I got thrown out, broke my face, broke my back, flatlined supposedly several times on the way to the hospital in the ambulance. Um, And then ended up having to lay on my back for two months, basically, waiting for my back to heal. And that's when I first asked for a guitar, just because I was bored and I needed something to do. So what I totally thought was just going to be a fun little hobby to get me through my healing phase, I got to college and started playing with people, for people. And suddenly people started asking me to go play music all over. And it very quickly changed the whole trajectory of what I thought I wanted to do. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's like, it's an accident that I'm playing music and that you're really good at it. Well, you know, that's up for debate. I will, <laughs> I will say it's, crowd. it's, it's awesome to go back and listen to my very first recordings. Woof. It was real bad, bro. <laughs> Well, I know for a fact from the few times that I've seen 10th Ave, you've just got this stage presence. You make crazy faces, and for some reason, the crowds love it. It's amazing. You're all over speakers. You're standing 
in the crowd, jumping everywhere. I don't know where the energy comes from because I I have so much respect for frontmen and just bandmates in general because especially in Screamo, like I don't see how they bang their heads so long and can still like belt out their notes. Like it that takes a godly amount of energy. Well what you don't understand is that insecurity is a very powerful motivator. Mm. So when you're standing in front of all those people I remember when I first started playing, I would get really insecure and just sort of shut down. Mm. Uh, and then, well, that's not exactly true. There were times that that happened. But what it happens to me is I feel all this like nervous energy from being in front of all those people. And I just channel it into thrashing about and it seems to do the trick. Yeah. And have you ever struggled with your mental health along this journey? I mean, that's such an interesting question, right? Mental health. Um, Like, what does it mean to have healthy thoughts? Mm. And I think what a lot of us don't understand is that we're all going to have a considerable number of thoughts that feel incredibly unhealthy. Mm. And some people learn little practices to shut them down, ignore them, stuff them, bury them. Uh, what I've been working on lately in my life is not only unhealthy thoughts, but what I originally thought were unhealthy feelings. Mm. And instead of like shoving them down or trying to not, acknowledge their presence lately i've been getting more into learning to be curious about my feelings and curious about my thoughts for instance uh someone wrote me the other day and said have you ever felt your hope crumble have you ever had your hope fall apart i said absolutely she goes and then they said well what did you do and i said well i got curious about what i'd put my hope in you know yeah like and your hope only falls apart if it's put into something that isn't uh, steadfast. Yeah. So, but instead of beating myself up for feeling hopeless, I went, wait a second, sure. what did I put my hope in? So curiosity to me is a really good word when I think about mental health and I think about emotional health is that uh, the key to to health is to not freak out when you have these thoughts and these feelings, but to uh, like get curious about them. Mm. And you wrote a blog post a few days ago, and in it you're talking about like you. I let my daughter get bit by a dog. Shame. I feel afraid. I won't figure out a new job. Shame. I'm too emotional and obviously don't have enough faith. Shame. You're very vulnerable in this piece. And the one thing that I take away from it is over and over again, you repeat faith over feelings, which is something that you've mentioned in our conversation today. Where, where did this come from for you? Like it's a very vulnerable piece and I very much so would call it art. Um, just the way that you're letting God speak through you and going into scripture and allowing him to use you in that way. Um, but when it comes to talking about faith over feelings, where did that inspiration come to you? Right. Well, actually, I think in the piece you're mentioning, I'm actually responding to that phrase, faith over feelings. Mm. And this piece is actually saying, 
to just cut and dry, say faith over feelings is actually to just sort of negate the purpose of emotion Mm. in our spiritual life. And what I kind of came back to was I think a better phrase would be faith informed by our feelings or feelings informed by our faith. Mm. Um, and the, the, where I get that is the Psalms, uh, particularly Psalm 39 and Psalm uh, 88, I think, are the mm-hmm. two Psalms that they never make a turn into hopefulness. Sure. They never, like most of the Psalms are like gut-wrenchingly honest, and then they kind of at the end go, but I trust in you, God, but I know you're real, but like, I'll, you know, they could be like 15 verses of just, well, there's almost always this little turn. But in those two Psalms, neither one of them turn. And I just listened to this sermon about those Psalms. And there was a commentator uh, who once said, the reason those Psalms exist is to remind us that God knows how men speak when they're desperate. And acknowledges it and gives us permission. And where a lot of us go wrong is we have all these feelings about sh- of shame. We have all these feelings of like resentment or bitterness. And so we talk about all those feelings with our friends. But what we don't do that we ought to do is follow Job's example where Job relentlessly as Psalm 62 says, poured out his heart toward God. He said all kinds of stupid stuff in his prayers, but the difference was he directed all of his lament to God. In other words, he kept praying. And those Psalms kind of remind me that, I don't know, I grew up thinking there's a right way to pray, there's a wrong way to pray. And I think Jesus definitely gives us a template in the Lord's Prayer. But one of the things I've been thinking about lately is how I need to bring every emotion that I have and keep bringing it to God. And I think a lot of people, they don't pray that way. They pray very, uh, they edit themselves when they talk to God. Like they would never say, God, I'm so mad at you. They would tell their friends how they're mad at God, but they would never actually be honest to God about it. And what's so funny is like, it's not like you're going to pull a fast one over on God. Like, mm. oh, I had no idea how you were feeling, Mike, you know? And um, the more I'm vulnerable with God in my prayer life, the more I'm just painfully, brutally honest with God, it allows me to be more vulnerable. It's so funny. People tell me all the time, like, man, you're so vulnerable. And I don't feel like I am. And I think it, it's just the natural byproduct of being explicitly honest with God when I talk to him. Sure. And when it comes down to it throughout the journey of like going from playing church camps to small clubs back to big churches and to uh, theaters and arenas, was there ever a moment where you just felt like an imposter? Like I know you mentioned in your book when you won your first Dove Award and I think you dropped it or something. Um, have you ever just felt like God, like I don't belong here? 
Oh, what an interesting question. Um, when I think the reason I'm here is because I'm awesome or because I'm just so skilled or I'm just an amazing songwriter. When I start like believing my own hype, then yeah, I start to feel like an imposter for sure. Um, But when I go, wait, the reason I'm on the stage is because of grace. Mm. It's hard to feel like an imposter when you're super honest. One, One of the things that helps me not feel like an imposter is writing songs that are always true. Mm. For instance, I, 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 here's an example. We have a song called Worn, right? And the song says, let me see redemption win. Let me know the struggle ends. That you can mend a heart that's frail and torn. I want to know a song can rise from the ashes of a broken life and everything inside can be reborn because I'm worn. Well, guess what? Pretty much... of the time I can get on stage and sing that song. Honestly, Hmm. if I'd written that song to say, and now I know redemption wins. I'm so sure the struggle ends and I'm so confident this and that, and I've been warned, but right now I'm awesome. Yeah. I would be an imposter because Hmm. there's going to be a time that I can't sing that honestly. And so I've always just tried to write songs that I know I can honestly sing 100% of the time. Dude, that's awesome. And when it comes down to it, I feel as if whenever I've felt like an imposter, for me, I'm not a musician or anything. I'm the guy that shows up at the festival and MCs and gets people excited for the next act. Like I've often found myself like, God, why have you chosen to use me in this way? I share my story about overcoming anxiety and depression and overcoming a mental breakdown, essentially. And before that breakdown, I was on stages, but I decided to believe my own hype. And in 2016, I had a rude awakening when I started to crumble because of that, like wondering, oh, I've got to look this way. I've got to act this way in interviews. I got to do this. I got to do that. I deleted all my social media. I got off of the platform and I swore I would never come back. I was done. I let anxiety defeat me. And in 2018, I felt God call me back. And ever since, you know, going through therapy and figuring out what was wrong in my brain, what went wrong, what I can do to make sure that doesn't happen again, it's like taking care of my body, number one, taking care of my mind, but also, like you said, not buying into the hype. Like we're here because of grace. God's provided this platform for you to be able to sing your heart out and be vulnerable and people are relating with it and it's amazing, but it's just awesome to see somebody that's been there and done that and is still doing it, but realizing that it's all because of grace and in the music industry, I feel like I've seen an unhealthy amount of people just believing that they're there because they have a talent that they develop themselves And it's just simply like God gave you that voice. God gave you those words to sing. God gave you every single aspect of your life. And I believe he calls us to chase it um, for sure. But it's all because of his grace that we're able to do what we do. 
it's all because of his grace that we're able to talk on this podcast right now. This podcast wouldn't have happened if the pandemic wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And it's not only like, Oh, I can talk now because I've been given grace. It's like, no, the whole reason I'm talking is to illuminate grace. Mm. So when you realize the reason I'm on the stage is to give testament to the glory of the grace of God, then it's hard to feel really anxious because you're going, wait, no, no, no. Like every, every place where I've fallen is just another opportunity to show off God's grace. Mm. Um, like there, you know how many times I've like fallen flat on my face running around on stage or like tried to crowd surf and they dropped me like Jack Black at school of rock. Oh my God. And, and the thing is I go, but the reason I'm on stage is to glorify to God's grace. So, it's hard to get super embarrassed when I'm not trying to blow up my band name. I'm trying to point to and blow up the grace of God. It's like the more I, almost in some weird sense, you know, the more I screw up, it's just more opportunity to show of God. Um, not that I'm trying to do things unprofessionally but you see what i'm saying yeah sure um you mentioned trying to crowd surf and people dropping you. that had to be an experience there <laughs> it's happened many times now it whenever i crowd surf usually at a festival because that's the only time the crowd is rambunctious enough and close yeah. enough together that sort of thing but now i like i point to some very burly person and i like get eye contact and i go are you gonna catch me and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so once I know I have one person who will definitely catch me, then I'll jump and usually it works out better. Talk about some kind of crowd experience, dude. That kid's gonna go home and tell his grandkids one day, Yeah, that dude in that tenth avenue band, you know, I was sitting there at a festival and he looked me straight in the eye. He picked me out of everybody. He said, You gonna catch me and I caught him. That's exactly he did. how that conversation's gonna go down. And he didn't drop you, I hope. <laughs> No, when I do that, it doesn't. They don't drop me. Nah, dude. It's I've when gotta... I just just jump in without finding my anchor person that gets it gets bad. I um I've heard stories about the old DC Talk days. Toby Mac would have people go out and put big burly people in like all together to where when he jumped, like he was getting caught. But you're you're not there yet, are you? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think I'll ever get to that level. That was a that was a different time. <laughs> I don't even think we can uh, be that close together in a crowd. You'd have to find one dude that would agree to catch you now. Yeah, uh, six I'd, feet. It'd look more like a scene from Dirty Dancing. <laughs> one guy catching me. Oh my gosh! Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Mike Donahue of Tenth Avenue North. You could pick up his book on Audible and everywhere books are sold. And be looking out for new music to come from him in the future. Mike, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day on your vacation to have a conversation with us. And we'd be super excited to talk to you again. Turning pandemics into parties, bro. There we go. Well, if you made it this far in, I assume you may have enjoyed it a little bit. And if you did, I would love to encourage you to go leave us a five-star review over on iTunes. That helps more than I can ever say, and it helps the podcast keep growing. So if you could, go give us a review on iTunes, and we'll talk to you soon.
Hey there, it's Nicole Eunice from the How to Study the Bible podcast, and I'd love to invite you to join us as we weekly discover a passage of God's Word together. From beginning to end, from principles to practicals, we are here to make sure that God's Word is powerful and relevant to your life. If that sounds like something you're looking for, I would love to invite you to subscribe. You can go to lifeaudio.com and search How to Study the Bible, and we'll see you there.